If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked. It's IGN's weekly Xbox show. It's episode 597 for May 31st, 2023. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined as always by Miranda Sanchez. Hi, Miranda. Hi, hello. Do you have a cute little kitten you can hold up or is is the kitten out of reach? She had to get put to another room because she is too excited right now. I tried to get her like run down, but she's got that massive kitten energy. And so... For the sake of all of our listeners, I have moved her to another room, but she Fair is enough. not even three months, and she's well, tiny and wonderful. So. We we demand kitten pictures or something at some point on the podcast, yes. so just uh, file that away. Destin Legary, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Bam. Very excited about today. We have a good guest. Yes. Thank you for setting him up. That uh, maybe familiar face, probably, if you've been a longtime Xbox fan, you probably know, you already know who this gentleman is. Uh, to my immediate, I guess, right on your screen, is Rod Ferguson, the franchise director of Diablo at Blizzard, longtime Gears of War producer, then the head of the studio at The Coalition. Rod, it has been, by our calculation, four years since we've last really seen you really talk to you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Uh, you know, it's an exciting time right now. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. We're going to get right into it uh, because we've got you for a little while. And then we'll, we'll uh, after we say goodbye, we'll do some other Xbox housekeeping business, finish off the rest of the podcast. But uh, Rod, you're so kind to grace us uh, with your time because the, the timing couldn't have been better because, of course, be behind me is, uh, well, just sadly, some artwork from Diablo 4. I tried to launch the game <laughs> to have the game running behind me, and it says, you're too early. So we've got another... Just over, let's see, 24, about 29 hours until the game unlocks, yep. uh, which I absolutely can't wait for. And and congratulations on all the great reviews, uh, 9 out of 10 from IGN, and roughly that from everywhere else. So uh, to, to you and the team, I mean, just awesome, awesome stuff. 
Thanks. Yeah, the team has put a lot of, you know, their heart, passion, talent, dedication, you know, all the all those words have gone into this over the last few years. And so it's very exciting to get that sort of gratification and being able to see it come to fruition and get people to recognize the work that we put into it. So, yeah, it's been it's been awesome to see the reviews rolling in. And now, like you said, we're 29 hours away from people getting their hands on it and we can't wait to welcome people to Sanctuary. Now, is there is there a big clock like somewhere that I just can't see right now? Like that's counting down like a like a space shuttle launch? No, 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 no. I have a tab open that's like you know doing it for me. But yeah, I try to keep people on Twitter. I try to put out a regular like heartbeat of what's what's going on uh, as we were going through reviews, embargo, and the preload that we just did yesterday. And now it's down, yeah, now it's down to twenty nine hours, and so we're just really excited. You know, we, this is going to be interesting for us because you know, back in my Xbox days when we launched a game, um, we would it would follow the sun. So it would sort of like start at midnight in Australia and then we would kind of continue across the globe. Um, that's not the way it works here. So with the uh, basically at four o'clock Pacific tomorrow, we turn on a switch that makes it available glo globally all at once. Uh, so that's always kind of a little bit uh, heartburn inducing, but exciting as well uh, as everybody can play it around the world all at the same time. So yeah, early access on uh, for June 1st on the Pacific uh, and June 5th for the full release uh, at 4 p.m. So yeah, everybody can be jumping in. Well, I want to get uh, Miranda and Dessen here as well. You know them. Uh, Miranda, of course, got to visit you for our Gears of 5 IGN first. Again, going back four years already. A right. lot's happened in that time. You've left the coalition, <laughs> which I want to talk about. You, of course, are uh, helping the team launch Diablo 4 right now, which is a game. You know, it's fitting. So um, today, as we record, is my 11-year work anniversary at IGN, which right. is, feels awesome. <laughs> and uh, my... I, I didn't I didn't unlocked on my first day. It was episode fifty-eight, if you ever want to go back and listen to it. So and we're now on five ninety-seven. Oh so gosh. just to give you an idea of what eleven years of, of Xbox podcast at IGN looks like. Wow. But um but interestingly, Rod, uh Diablo three had just launched like two weeks before I joined IGN <laughs> in May of 2012. That's true. And so here we go. Yeah, now on, the, on my 11 year anniversary, I get another new Diablo game. <laughs> I couldn't be happier about. Hopefully it's not gonna be 11 years till the next no. one. No. Um, which I'll ask you about later too. But <laughs> but um, but you know, you, you joined Blizzard and this is, we've obviously every game developer and all of us have lived through a pandemic. So mm. I'm curious for you, what has has that been like from joining the studio, joining Blizzard in sort of in the middle of this and, and working on a game through remotely? Because are sure. you are you still are you in North Carolina right now? Uh, no, actually, I'm in my office in Irvine, California. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really uh, interesting. I started uh, I started with Blizzard on March 3rd in uh, 2020. And so I had an exactly it was a Tuesday. And the following Thursday, we sent everybody home. And so I had eight wow. days on my, wow. on my new job. I got to walk around the building and start, you know, and uh, Blizzard, your first two weeks are nothing but meet and greets. It's just you're just constantly talking to different people and you don't really get a lot of work done because you're just meeting everyone. Um, but I really didn't get a full sense of the team, you know, because, again, I only had eight days. And so it was really interesting to go from, 
hey, I'm new to, oh, I have to do this remote. And it was, I was funny, I was talking to my former production director, Christy Ray, and she's like, I feel really bad for you. And I'm like, what, why, what's wrong? And she's like, well, your superpower is kind of in the room. Like you kind of can talk to people in the room and feel the energy and get them hyped up and speak passionately. And, and now you're being forced to this, like, you know, two inch by two inch window to talk to your team. And that's gotta be really hard. And, and she was, she was dead on. Like that was, that was really challenging to go from, I don't know who these people are. I have no relationship with them. And then for the, and what we thought was like leave the office for two weeks, which everybody thought uh, turned out to be years. It was it was really interesting to try to find ways to create bonds and create relationships and and create trust. Most importantly, uh, you know through Zoom. Miranda. Yeah, man, it was weird. <laughs> I mean, nobody asked me about that, but um, I think your. Uh, Coworker that you or former coworker you just mentioned to really had a good point because you are great in a room, I will say. Um, but I think how was the shift with production specifically too? Because I, I know like the Diablo team has gotta be massive, I would assume. And um, you've obviously worked with really big teams before with that, the coalition, with gears, uh, but shifting that all online must have been such a massive challenge. Yeah, I mean, the big thing was really trying to increase sort of predictability and transparency around production. So that's when we just need to get more clarity about kind of what the future held for us and to be able to see things coming kind of further down. And so that was part of when I came here, it was sort of what I wanted to do right away as I kind of recognized like the current methodologies we were using, I don't think would suit us very well, especially remote where we weren't sort of con so connected in the office. Right. And so we started really modernizing on our production process and really getting, you know, really connected to JIRA, being able to do proper burn downs, be able to see. And that was kind of, you know, our whole process of being able to go and say, okay, this is where we are. This is where it's looking. And so it, it really helped us to be able to make decisions faster and go, hey, we need to, we don't have to wait till we, you know, till you smash into the a wall before you can say, I have to start breaking kind of thing. And so we were able to go like, hey, based on our, you know, ability to predict, we can see like, oh, we need our scope might be too big or mm -hmm. we need more time for this or we need to do this sort of thing or we need more people to do that and that was one of the big sort of the number one thing when i first came in was just modernizing production and it's been great because we have i have a great production director here in, in gavin and you know he led his team to be able to sort of turn that into a much more data-driven production and then be able to get that sort of predictability and transparency which is allowing us to you know ship in 29 hours on time which is exciting Destin, you want to jump in yeah, uh, I have a question that's not on, on the run of show that I want to ask you about. <laughs> oh, it's going it's, rogue. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit of a philosophical one, and it's kind of serious, so I hope you don't feel like I'm coming at you hot. But okay. uh, I just saw, I watch a lot of Asmongold. I saw uh, a clip from Cone Carnage where he sort of spoke philosophically about game design and implementation of microtransactions like with the cosmetics, right? Mm -hmm. he He seems to feel that the implementation of being able to buy stuff sort of diminishes when you see somebody wearing really cool armor. He believes in the philosophy of, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing somebody else's thoughts, but the philosophy of earning stuff and then showing that off in game, like in World of Warcraft, et cetera. Sure. How do you wrestle with that concept as a designer to meet your business needs, but also serve the fan base that is looking for those players who have achieved greatness within your game engine. 
Yeah, it's a balance of both, right? I mean, one of the things we really sort of wanted to make sure that people had the big thing for us on on Diablo Four is there's no pay to win any sort of microtransactions we have, whether that be the battle pass or the shoppers. It's all cosmetic based, and it really leans into our sort of freedom of choice message. We wanted to have the choice to make your character look the way you want them to, to have your be able to pick the skills and play the way you want to, to explore the story or the world the way you want to, to play with others on across platforms. And so, really, like our number one people go like, what's the number one thing you talk about with Diablo Four? It's about freedom of choice. And when we look at sort of the notion of, you know, the achievement-based cosmetic versus a purchase cosmetic, I mean, they, they're very, they're equal but different. You know, we have really cool cosmetics that you can find and earn it through the game. And we've shown in our previous blog, like a side-by-side -side of here's one that you can earn in the game and here's one you can buy in the shop. And they're both equally cool. If I didn't put that label on it, you wouldn't be able to tell me which was which. And really it's about, you know, we want you to be able to, like, for example, when you play PvP, if you happen to go into the fields of hatred and you want to participate in that, you're unlocking through that achievement, you're unlocking PvP-based cosmetics that you can kind of tell people, like, I'm a, I'm a player killer. <laughs> you know, I like <laughs> PvP and I've got this trophy on my mount that tells people, be careful of me, I like to do PvP. Versus if you have a particular power fantasy that you want to be a, a nice sorcerer and you want to, you really like this particular kind of look that you see in the shop, well, then you can sort of help customize that look to kind of help you embrace your fantasy even more. So it's a combination of both. There's going to be that stuff that you can wear to say like, hey, much like the Shava's Cry mount trophy, when you wear that, you know, people know like, oh, they got, they killed a Shava during server slam. But there might be stuff that's in the shop that you're like, that just looks badass and it, it helps reinforce my fantasy. So I want to be able to go get that. You know, Rod, okay. I want to come back to something you were starting to get into with <clears throat> when you were talking about the beginning of, of the work from home situation and, and sort of the, the production process. You are, of course, as I'm sure well aware, your reputation in the industry is as this awesome fixer who just comes in and gets things done. So was the... Did the pandemic kind of become a new, a new like challenge for you to to flex those those fixer production skills? Um, you know, there wasn't really like the team was an amazing team we have here, and then during the process during this production, we also brought in. Um, you know, Blizzard Albany, the one Vicarious Visions became Blizzard Albany and we brought them onto D4. And so we have a really strong, really capable team. So it wasn't like I was coming in to fix this broken project. It was really about um, helping them get the rest of the way, if you will. And so, yeah, yeah doing that through Zoom is hard. Um, you know, the way that, you know, thanks for the shirt, by the way, Ryan, the, the like for Bioshock Infinite, that was a, that was a, you know, uh, firefighter mission where I was sort of dropped in and, and try to, you know, put the fire out. And that wasn't the case here. Um, but I, and if, if I, I wouldn't have been able to do Bioshock Infinite Remote, like that would be impossible, you know, that to in that situation where, again, with the, the, the quality of the team we have here, uh, I was able to do that. And, and plus we found ways to, to make it work. Like um, it was really funny because I was trying to find a way to connect to the team. I'm a new, I'm a new leader. And I, and I, and so I just decided that I used to, I'm an open door manager. I prefer to keep my door open and people want to come and ask me questions they can and, and what have you. And I couldn't do that obviously remote. And so I, I 
came up with this idea that I was just going to kind of do this sort of, I was just going to turn on Zoom for an hour. I was just wanting to say like, you know what, I'm going to do the equivalent of an open door every Thursday morning. I'm going to turn on my Zoom and I'm going to continue working and work an email. And as people pop into the room, they can ask me a question and then they can go on their way or whatever. And so I just thought it would be a sort of a, just a casual way to have a, a couple of, you know, questions answered or whatever the hot topic of the day is. And, uh, so I get so I'm getting ready for the first you know uh, open Zoom call, and I'm like, okay, let's see how this goes. And I turn on the camera and I go into Zoom, and there's 75 people sitting there waiting <laughs> for me. And I was like, wow. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't going to be like doctor's hours where I'm just going to take people coming in now. Like people are sitting there going like, hey, like talk to us for an hour or whatever. And so I had to start to think about okay, like how do I want to talk? And it was a great way for them to having my own podcast in a way, like we actually jokingly started calling it the Rodcast. <laughs> and and over each Thursday, it got bigger and bigger. So like last Thursday, I had 175 people in there for an hour. And, but, and I've been doing it for three years and people have seen like a different side of me because I'm talking to them as a human, not as a, like the general manager. And so we talk right. about, you know, what anime am I watching, uh, which is Q, by the way, um, oh, you know, nice. what, uh, what's the, <laughs> you know, what's the latest movie, but we also talk about, I always try to give them what's going on in the franchise, because sometimes you can kind of get tunnel vision and we've got four games going with D3 and D2R and Immortal and D4. And so a lot of ways, some people just don't have exposure to everything we're doing. And so I'll talk about the entire franchise and also I'll steal stuff from marketing and give them sneak peeks of stuff that they're not supposed to see yet. And so it becomes like, you know, the broadcast is a cool place to go and get spoilers on things that, you know, work in progress stuff, which is fun. Um, so yeah, so, but it was a great way. And I found that what I got a lot of really positive feedback of, I, this is my, during the pandemic, when it was people were felt so isolated, they were like, oh, this is my favorite meeting of the week because I feel so connected to the team and connected to you. And you're talking to me like a human and you're, you know, and I might be swearing and I, I might say goofy stuff because I love dad jokes or whatever. And they were just like, oh, there's a human here, not this person, external leader who's come in to try to guide us. There's actually, I understand who he is and what games he's playing and all that kind of stuff. So that really helped, but, um, you know, just kudos to, both the resilience of the team to be able to, to continue to make Diablo 4, you know, over the last three years. And just kudos to Blizzard for just being able to sort of step up and, and take care of the team. You know, that was the thing, like my first exposure to Blizzard really was around how do we take care of our people during this time and getting machines sent home. And we had like toilet paper, paper towel, you know, available, people could drive to the parking lot and pick it up and, you know, vaccine nice. clinics and stuff like that. Like they were really focused on how do we just take care of the team, you know? Oh, I love that. That's awesome. You know, I, I want to rewind because you're, I mean, you're getting into some great sort of behind the scenes kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you just talked about how you, know, you got to kind of be yourself and show people another side of you. I want to actually talk uh, to you about Rod, the person for a second, rather than, uh, rather than just the, the Diablo guy now, sure. in terms of, you know, because we, we've known you professionally for so long. <laughs> Epic, you know, Microsoft Epic and the coalition all on Gears. I mean, your social media handle is Gears Viking. I believe you have a Gears of War tattoo. Do I, am I, do I have that correct? Yeah, it's this arm is Yeah, the... that's what I thought. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but I also have, I now also have the, the, the Necromancer tattoo on the other arm, so. Nice. I'm, I'm covered on both sides. <laughs> you are fulfilling the, the promise that Peter Moore uh, never <laughs> exactly. quite delivered on from, uh, from the early Xbox I didn't put a date. Days. I mean, I was confident about her date, but I didn't put a date. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, again, your your history with gears is so just well documented at this point. I mean, you know, you you held a bunch of different roles from production on up to studio head at the coalition, and and so you know, there was gears five was was awesome. Miranda and I both loved it. There was this, uh, you know, we really kind of had a bit of a cliffhanger there, and we're you know, we feel like we've got to resolve things with the next game. Right. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, I, I hope this isn't like too personal to ask, but, but what, you know, what compelled you to leave gears behind after, after all those years and all that history? I mean, certainly Diablo is awesome. It's a great opportunity. We're going to talk more about Diablo four and what you and the team have achieved, but sure. I just kind of thought I would ask you given, you know, you've been maybe more, more so than, most other prominent developers in the industry, you know, you've been you know, so closely associated with this. I mean, even like Kojima or, you know, Miyamoto have all been, they've been at one company. Like you've stuck with a franchise at basically three different companies, which is, <laughs> which is pretty unprecedented. So I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about, about, you know, how you came to, to decide to, to leave gears behind and, and head to Blizzard. Yeah. It, there's a couple of factors. I mean, I think if you were to look at my resume, uh, I noticed a really interesting pattern that was sort of, you have these aha moments where you kind of reflect for a second. And if you look at my resume, basically every six-ish years, I change. So, you know, when I started working on games at Microsoft uh, back in uh, 1999 uh, with like Train Sim and, and Blood Wake and such, if you go forward to 2005, so roughly six years, I go to Epic to work on Gears of War, and then I'm at Epic till like 2011, 2012, which is another six years. And then, you know, I do my thing with 2K and Bioshock, but then I end up at the Coalition and from 2014 to 2020, which is six years. And so there's, there's something in me, and I think part of it has to do is that at six years, you start to, there are fewer challenges and you're kind of more steady state and, and it kind of becomes a little less interesting um, because you're not dealing with the hard problems anymore. You're kind of like, okay, I solved or we've solved all the hard problems. How do I, you know, what what's next? And part of it was like the transition to Gears 5 to Gears 6, we knew um, that we were going to switch engines from Unreal Engine 4 to Unreal Engine 5. Yeah. And there was going to be, a, a you know, 18 months to change the technology, plus there's a new design, plus the game and everything else. And so I was like, wow, that could be a decent ways down. And if you know anything about my career, I love shipping games. And so at the Coalition, we had just shipped five games in six years uh, with like the Gears Remaster, 4, 5, Pop, and Tactics. So in the six years I was there, we shipped five Gears of War games. And the notion of not shipping another Gears game for, say, five years um, felt like a long time um, to not be shipping. And then, you know, Blizzard reached out to me, and Diablo is one of my favorite franchises of all time. You know, it goes back to Diablo 2 with my brother, uh, Diablo 3 with my sons. Like, it just resonates with me on so many levels. And so to become the head of Diablo and realize that I could ship three games in three years, which is what we just did with Diablo 2 Resurrected, Diablo Immortal, and now Diablo 4. So, like, in the last nine years i've shipped eight games you know and so that is kind of what's my personality and and the challenges <laughs> i enjoy and so it was yeah so it's a combination of just getting to work at blizzard was sort of a dream you know anybody who works in this injury industry has always you know looked up to blizzard as as you know fantastic ip and fantastic games um and then just sort of the 
personality quirk I have that once the things become less challenging, I kind of want to do something else. <laughs> well, that's that's a heck of a realization to have about yourself. And it's uh, I, I had I'd never thought about it, about your your sort of career that way and, and that that pattern. That's that's really interesting. You're also making me go, well, wait a second. Today's my 11 year anniversary at IGN. <laughs> have I overstayed my welcome? Am I, am, I not, am I not growing anymore? Wait a second. Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm still having a good time doing this. Um, good. Don't leave. <laughs> I don't plan to leave. But um, but yeah, wow, that's that's really interesting. So Di so Diablo 4, you, I'm so glad. I was going to ask you about sort of your history with, with Diablo. Uh, who's, your, who's your main? Who's your go-to first class? Uh, let's start with Diablo 2. We're like, who is your... Who was your character in Diablo 2 and, and were you were you starting with four here when the servers flick on in 29 hours or so? Yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of a, I mean, you can't put a, a necromancer tattoo on your body and not be a necromane. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm pretty much necro, pretty much anytime there is a, a any game that has a summoner class, I kind of like, and I we, I joke that I made the joke that the necro is like a, a general manager simulator. I just like having people <laughs> to go tell, go do my fighting for me and then bring it back and, and you know, bring me my loot. And so that's kind of, I'm always playing those types of classes. So like necro and D2, uh, necro and D3. Although I have to say like the notion about, there's some novelty things that I, I I learned with Diablo 2 Resurrected, I learned about the pacifist playthrough, which I hadn't didn't hadn't learned about until D2R, which is this notion of being able to take a paladin, never equipping a weapon and never pressing the A button to kill anything. And you just kill everything through thorns or the generated effect off your armor. It's super fun. Like if people want to, and just the, the, the mind games of having to go to Charcy looking for the particular armor that gives a 5% chance for shock on hit and how to play the game without attacking anything and leveling up and getting, I just got through Durial, you know, um, without attacking. It's, it's just like, it's just really cool. Like it's a fun way to play. So anyway, it's just, you're always finding new ways to, to try it. The extra challenge to add yeah. on to something yeah. you already love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just another way to play it. And that's what I'm really looking like with Diablo four, there's so many with the five classes and there's so many viable builds and so many different ways to play. Like, and I, I'm the kind of person I, I, I sort of have situational builds where I'll look at, I say, Oh, when I play solo, I'm going to play Necromancer. But when I play with my sons, I'm going to play Sork. But when I play with my brother, I'm going to play Druid. And so you end up in sort of these, all these combinations of how you want to play based on who you're playing with and, and those sorts of things. So, cause of like one of my, um, my youngest, who's 21, he's not that young, but he's my youngest, is living with me uh, in my apartment here in Irvine. And so like, Kim and I are going to do couch co-op, whereas I'm going to play with my older brother, you know, uh, online. And so it's, yeah, it's all, it's, it's, so it's all situational. But when I play by myself, I'm going to be playing Necro. Sorry, couch that was a really long answer so to a simple are, question. Are you playing, are you playing on Xbox, PS5? Where, where are you starting up? Uh, you know, you, that's one of the great things with the cross progression Absolutely. aspect is you can hop around. And so the notion of having it on PC so I can play at work, don't tell anybody, um, <laughs> and, and then go home and play on a console, whether PlayStation or Xbox, and, and have that progression follow you. Uh, but also the great thing is like in Diablo 3, you know, I own like four copies of Diablo 3 because you... Um, 
you couldn't cross play. Like you, if you wanted to play with, if I wanted to play with my brother, say who likes to play on PC, I would have to get the PC version. If I want to play with my kids, play on console, I'd have to get the console version. With Diablo 4, you, with cross play means you don't have to do that. Like a PlayStation person can play with an Xbox person, can play with a PC person, all in their party, all having fun. And so that notion of having that ability to do cross play just kind of frees you. And the fact that cross progression means you can also play wherever you want. So helpful. Sometimes I want to be on my big ass TV and sometimes I just want to be at my PC. You got to <laughs> mix it up. It's like, I got to stretch, you know, oh, yeah. between the rooms. Well, um, and, and even handhelds now, like, you know, like yeah. playing, playing on Steam Deck and, and uh, I got to test it on the Rogue Ally and like there's mm -hmm. just playing Diablo handheld, Diablo 4 handheld is, is really fun too. That's true. I didn't think about Steam Deck. Um, I know we're kind of running on time. But I have two very quick questions and many more, but two first that are quick. Okay. One, do you name your skeletons? And if so, can you share those names? <laughs> I Maybe don't. I ask because there's I so, do this. Oh, do you? Like, there's so. <laughs> oh, yeah. The thing is, is like I try to get the biggest army possible, so I end up with like I, like really early in the game, you can end up with eight, and so that's a lot of names. Like I, my the one the real naming thing I do is like anytime I have. You know, and it was like I did this in WoW in World of Warcraft. I I would I would always be a hunter and I would name my bear, and and so my son went up. I was like, "What's your bear's name?" And I'm like, "It's it's necessities." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's the bear necessities." <laughs> so so I so because so it had to be a dad pun thing. But no, I don't I don't name my skeletons. Uh, they die enough that I kind of they get a little disposable, and that was one of the things we've been trying to. The you know back in the open beta, the, the necromancer skeletons were never you never had to resummon them. Great, you, you bought <laughs> them once. They're my they, forever friends. It's yeah, great. but now you know we tried <laughs> to find the right balance where you know every battle maybe you lose one, you have to bring at least one back after every battle, so it, it makes it a little more active. But fun, my, my head canon is it's the same set of skeletons every time. They're my buds. <laughs> I'm just I'm just constantly resurrecting them. You're like Jerry, you're back. Thank God. Yeah. It's a uh, Phoebe Prue and Piper from Charmed first, and then I had like Tom, like just some like random name. <laughs> it's good. Um, the second question is bringing it back to gears real quick. Do you know what happens after the cliffhanger? Oh. Do you know what happens? Oh, in Gears Five? Yeah, yeah. Do you have like, I, like a story? Do you yeah, know like what happens? I mean, I know. I mean, you I, can't tell us, but I know what yeah. I wanted it to be. Like, <laughs> okay. That was the thing that like I don't know what they did. I but I have no insider information. I don't right. talk to I don't talk to anybody at the coalition. I don't even know if there is a gear six. So don't like nothing I'm saying is <laughs> but, but like I did want to make sure the co when I left the coalition, I left them in a good place. And so I did write the I did write this like the synopsis story synopsis for gear six. It was like, Ooh. okay. And so I was like, if I'm stay if I were to have stayed, here's the game we would have made. Um, at least from a story perspective. Now they probably threw that out and said good luck and goodbye. Like, <laughs> and that's fine. But I like I definitely had a like where I would go with with six. And and one of the big challenges, honestly, was that we did the crazy thing of killing off one of the you know letting the player choose who dies. And so one of the big questions we always got was, well, whose story are you continuing forward? And I'm going to be really interested to see how if there is a gear six. I'd be, I'm really curious to see how they choose to resolve that problem I created for them because. <laughs> They, some people are not happy with me when I said we're going to kill off one of them. Um, and, and, you know, voice actors aside, they were also unhappy. But like the notion around like, how do we continue this forward with this variable of who dies is like, it was definitely a question for sure. This week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, 
TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D, and that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Right. The question of like, what's the canon death is always going to be lingering over this. And I'm curious to see, as you said, too, if they choose to tackle it like as, no, this is the way, regardless of your choice or if they continue to play through it. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty big differences. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard to carry both. Like it's, you know, you could say like, oh, it's up, you know, I, I'll read your save file and bring that forward and change the story. But uh, that's a lot of work to, for, mm-hmm. to do that kind of thing. And you kind of want the story to be not cookie cutter. You want it to be really like focused on whatever characters that you decide live, live to move through that. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, people keep bringing up Hive Busters and they keep bringing up Gears 5 and, um, because like a lot of my followers are obviously on Twitter are still Gears fans. I think Gears some of them don't even yeah. know I do Diablo. They're like, what the hell is Rod doing right now? <laughs> I think they still think I work you know, Microsoft doing Gears, but it's, it's a great reminder. Like, I feel like in some ways that when I look at the visuals of five, like I feel like in some ways that we were slightly ahead of our time in terms of how great that game looked. Oh, uh, yeah. Even, even you know, five years ago or whatever. So uh, I'm really proud of where my 15 years with the franchise, you know, took me and, but you know, to be here in this moment, to to be on like one of your favorite franchises and being able to bring three new Diablo games to, to life and, and to have this moment with Diablo 4 is is unbelievable. You know, it's just so exciting and to see we're everywhere right now uh, and to have our story trailer and our gameplay trailer and our live action trailer. We've got more surprise. We have another surprise coming tonight, which I can't talk about. And you know, and to see the reviews is just, um, it's really gratifying and uh, I'm really proud of this team. 
I have one more big like Diablo question, but yeah. I will step back so Dustin can speak. <laughs> well, I don't know. He hit me with the microtrans question really fast, so I think he's done with questions. I think we no, 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 no. That's enough for Dustin. <laughs> All right. Well, I got another tough one for you. So Diablo two resurrected yeah. launched. There's some wonky server issues that launched that were addressed. Sure. Diablo Immortal launched with the the power challenge with the microtransactions. You are seen as an industry fixer. So what lessons did you learn from those games that you're using to fix Diablo 4? Well, this doesn't really need fixing. It's rated 9 out of 10 and 10 out of 10 is <laughs> everywhere. But uh, yeah, what lessons did you learn and what will you be implementing from those challenges that you face with those other Diablo Well, I titles? mean, it's, they're, it's, they're sort of like side knowledge because they're so different. You know, like Diablo 2 Resurrected were part of the the remaking, you know, the resurrection, if you will, of that game was on a different set of technology. So when I could say like, oh, we learned the server thing, we kind of didn't in the sense that it's different tech, but we definitely learned like, be prepared. And that's why you saw the early access beta and the open beta and the server slam is really the team trying to make sure that we don't have that kind of, we're trying to reduce the odds of having that issue. You know, like, the way that we, we I try to talk about a live service game like this is we talk about it as an amusement park and we say, okay, so, you know, the amusement, when the amusement park opens at 9am and let's say there's 2 million people at the gate, well, you, they're not instantly in the park. They have to go through the gate and that's true getting into our servers. Like there's going to, you have to, you, there's only so many, so fast you can get people into the game. So when you first log in, there tends to be a bit of a queue because guess what? Everybody's lined up at the, at the ticket gate. And then once you've let them in, the question is, is the park big enough to hold 2 million people or whatever it is? And then are the rides working today and, and, and when, which would be your services? And so we use, I, I think about it that way. And so we've been doing a lot of like automated testing and stress testing and, and we, you know, the server slam and the open beta were meant to, to do that. And so kind of the notion of, I don't want to have a repeat of the D2R um, situation is not like, oh, I learned how to change this tech because it's completely different tech. But what I, it really did kind of put into like, you know, we knew we had to make sure that we did the, everything we could to prepare. Does that mean, you know, tomorrow morning, uh, tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock, it's going to be, you know, smooth as glass. You never know until millions of people show up. And like I said, we're turning on a switch globally. It's not following the sun. So anybody who wants to play Diablo 4 who has early access can play at four o'clock tomorrow. So, you know, it might be a little bumpy, but as you saw with our, with our betas, like we, we had a couple hours, we worked through it and then the rest of the weekend was smooth. Um, I think from a you know immortal, I think the it wasn't so much a learning one. It's just we want to make sure that people understood it was a different game, different aim, as we like to say, which is like it's hard to compare sort of a box product premium game to a free to play game, and they have different things they have to do. And so, what it did cause is for us to be really just really clear in our communication about Diablo Four has no pay to win. Like everything we're doing is cosmetic. But I think that if I would say like one of the biggest learnings though from Immortal for for me was really the onboarding process. You know when when you play um, immortal and you step off that boat onto the dock and then you get your one skill and you get that for a little bit and then you get another skill and the way that you're eased into getting to, into west march it was really great for new players because that's what immortal was created for for free-to-play mobile players go where the players are who haven't played diablo before and initially when we had the shared open world of diablo 4 we would drop you in the cave you'd wake up in the cave and then it was like oh open world go do whatever you want and we realized oh 
new players are being paralyzed by choice of like, where do I go? What do I do? How do I do this? And we actually ended up going back and sort of recrafting the prologue to make sure that that was a, an experience that we could count on. And to the point where we wanted to say, when you get your first level, when you hit level two, we want you to be in town because we want to make sure that you're safe. You can take your time to read the skill tree. You're not being attacked behind the scenes or in all this. You're not in the middle of the woods with wargs running around. You're in town and you're safe. And we kind of went through that for all the way through to Kyovishad, just making sure that your onboarding is smooth. And that was something that really like, oh, how great Immortal was of getting you from that starting screen into the action. We really took that and said, okay, like, how do we do the same for, for D4? Uh, I know we're Absolutely. running out of time here, Rod. I want to speed run through okay. a few more questions with you. I'm uh, very bad at short answers, but I'll do my right. best. Well, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned, you know, the server slam and the beta weekends. And I, we talked on Unlocked when those were happening of it just, those seemed like, like not everybody does that stuff. Like you, you opened mm. up your game three separate times right. to millions of players at a given time. And, and like you were saying, there, there's no guarantee that everything's going to work properly at 4 PM tomorrow. <laughs> right. But I feel like, like as a player who, you know, has pre-ordered the game has has, you know, wants to give you the money and is ready to play that you've done everything you reasonably can to ensure the, the, that it's going to be as smooth as it can. I'm curious if, if all of those things were, were those baked into the production schedule or was that something where you or somebody on the team had an idea at some point, like, wait a second, why don't we, why don't we sort of try to kill two birds with one stone here and slam the servers, but also maybe get some player feedback while we're at it. Cause one thing I love, you guys put up a blog uh, after the open beta that, that uh, talked about that just detailed here, are all the player feedback changes that we're implementing into the day one version of the game. So if we're kind of effectively compared to the launch of a lot of live service games, we're basically getting version 1.01 at launch <laughs> rather than 1.0. Like, is that is that fair to say? And I'm just curious if you could speak to that real quick. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, totally. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that I, th I was really excited about coming is that the notion, like the ability to play this game from prologue to epilogue and beyond has been there for a long time. And so Blizzard has this philosophy called soup tasting. And it's that idea that you make, you get players to play the game and so that you can sort of taste the soup and go like, oh, needs more salt, needs more stock, needs more carrots or whatever, so that you can keep tuning. And so what we were doing is we were saying, hey, everybody on the team play that we're going to take days out of the week to play everybody go play the game and then we went like hey everybody in the company go play the game hey everybody at abk go play the game then it was like hey everybody your friends and family go play the game and then we went to early access and then we went to open beta and so this notion of getting more and more progressive feedback across the different systems and we had an end game beta where you couldn't even play the campaign you could only play the open world um was a way to gather feedback and so we were sort of doing a twofer on open beta it was really around I was trying to make it clear to people, this isn't a marketing beta. It's not a demo in disguise. It really was us testing our servers and getting that feedback from players. And we, as you saw, there's a lot that we learned from that, from both a technology point and a feature standpoint. Server Slam, like when you talk about being baked in, Server Slam was an optional third weekend. We had planned for two, the early access and open beta. And we sort of, in our, we never announced it, but we had sort of penciled in, if we need to do a third weekend, when would we do it? Um, and so that's what Server Slam became. It became sort of the third weekend. We had to actually give ourselves more time to make some of the changes that we wanted to based on our learnings. And so, uh, but yeah, so that was part of that idea of getting holistic testing, soup tasting, if you will, is, is definitely part of our production schedule. 
How much it. time do I have with the whirlwind barb soup? <laughs> so well, to speak. It, when are you nerfing it? How much time do I got? Yeah, I, I, you know, that's part of the great thing about having a, a live service game where you can hotfix things from the servers. So as oh, people no. saw with the Necro at ServerSlam, you know, the Necros were uh, under tuned and sort of very quickly within hours, you know, gave them some more survivability. And so that's going to be, we want every build to be viable and in the end game and to be able to take on that level 100 boss that's waiting for you at the very, very end. And so as we see people, even today, like or yesterday, we saw videos of people showing an overpowered rogue build and an overpowered barbarian build. And so, you know, our designers are already looking at that. And, and so those are kinds of things that we're like, okay, we're trying you know, there's always going to be a meta because it's sort of a race against your players in, in some ways. And as one of our designers like to say, there is no such thing as a perfect balance. There are just trade-offs. And so it's always about managing those trade-offs. And yeah, like it's, I'm really happy we have a preseason before we go into the seasonal play because that kind of gives us some time to sit in it a little bit and, and see kind of what are the builds that are coming up. But we don't want a one build to rule them all. We want them all to be viable. Randa, any any parting questions, thoughts for Rod? I've I've got one more, but I want to give you uh give you the floor here. Yeah, maybe this is going to require too long of an answer, but I just kind of want to ask a little bit about your philosophy on life service. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of different models for that come into play, and I'm sure listeners are maybe sick of me saying it, but like Genshin Impact is something that I always look to as like a really unique model. Right. Um, as far as like they're very story heavy every six weeks there's a massive content drop there's like limited time events that have cool story implications but not always right. and there's just constant engagement there um obviously you've worked with competitive multiplayer and such but that's very different from life service which is basically needs constant attention and constant like trickles of things for people to keep being there for right, right because like, right. we know that there's like a handful of people out there they're going to just like know life this and then they're going to be at the end of the game in right. like a week because that's just what they do and it's like dang you guys are impressive but <laughs> how do you keep those people and of course the folks who are going to be in this for the long haul interested over time i know you mentioned seasons but like do you guys yeah. have like a more firm plan or have you guys analyzed other live service games to look at models for that you wanted to either replicate or adapt in your own way yeah um, i mean i think it's a comment for us is a combination of seasons and uh we're quarterly seasons so our seasons are about three months long and it's going to be the combination of seasons plus expansions so seasons if you want to like where do we get inspired on seasons? It's really about what Diablo 3 was able to do. You know, they're on season 28 right now. We're still bringing back millions of players to play even at season 28. And so there's a lot that obviously clicks with the core around Diablo 3 season, but we're actually going sort of deeper. We're making the season journey more robust. We're providing more um, thematic elements. We're having a narrative context quest line that tells you kind of that leans into the new mechanics, the cosmetics, Battle Pass all relate to the theme of the season. So it's going to be a much richer season than you've seen in Diablo 3. Um, but that's going to be part of our ongoing where we're going to have that idea of like, oh, time, start a new character, play the season kind of thing, get access to the um, seasonal mechanics. And then when you think about expansions, that's where you think about like, how do we build upon the story more? You know, I think one of the things we don't want to do with the season is sort of try to, oh, this is continuation of the Lilith and Arius, you know, story because it's, Seasonal seasons are sort of ephemeral. They'll go away every three months and whereas expansions kind of live on. And so the expansions are the places we can play for that. Um, 
But it's really about like one of the things we've especially learning from the Street Diablo 3 is that it's not about playing the whole season. It's about playing till you're satisfied. Um, and so if somebody walks away from a season after a week, but they're walking away satisfied or satiated going like I did the battle pass, I, I played all the mechanics, I got my character to whatever level I, I, had, I had as a goal for myself, I'm good till next season, then we're good. You know, like if, if that's two weeks in, that's two weeks in. If you, But we also want to make sure we have stuff there that if you want to play all three months that you can do that too and so the same sorts of things of um, like live events or events and those types of things will be part of our post launch as well but then you know the we'll mature that as we go because shipping a game like in order to deliver a season and it you have to be kind of basically season one almost be done when we launch the game and so the notion of like, what are we learning or what are we adding and those sorts of things, those things are going to continue as we evolve to season two, season three, season four, because it takes longer to build a season than it takes to play a season. So right. we always have to have a, something in flight. So we actually have parallel teams. Like today we have, you know, we're launching the game, but we people we have season one being finished up. We're already working on season two. We're already working on expansion one. And so we have these swim lanes of parallel development that, you know, takes obviously a large team um, to be able to deliver it in a sustainable way. And that's really the focus right now. So, um, but, you know, it's like I said, we, whether you play for two weeks of a season or you play for all three months of the season, as long as when you push away from the keyboard or when you put the controller down, you're like, I'm good. I, I got out of it what I wanted to get out of it. I can't wait till next season. Then we're happy. Rod Ferguson, the head of all things Diablo at Blizzard. I mean, basically, you're you're you are Diablo. You're you're the guy. You're actually Diablo, right? Uh, I mean, well, I don't know if I'm the learn. Lord of Terror. That's a bit much to say, but <laughs> yes, <Wow. laughs> that's a that's a biggest shot someone's taken recently. No, um, yeah, no, I, I I oversee all things Diablo and and. Um, yeah, and it, I couldn't be happier. Like the notion around, you know, you have these things. Like when I, I talk to some people, like I, like I'm Canadian. I'm from Eastern Canada. Like I was born and raised in Ottawa, Ontario, and I came into this late. Like I was, I, it was never a dream that I could make games. Like it would be just coming from where I was. It just didn't feel like it was real. And so, like I made my first. You know, I was part of my first game when I was 32. I, it was like, uh, you know, I, I dropped out of high school to make video games. So that wasn't me. Like I was, you know, obviously far along. And so, but when you're when you're going back, you know, 26 years to when Diablo One came out, and and you're seeing these games and and the impact they have on you, like I said, you know, like D2 is one of the strong, I told him when I told my brother that I was taking over Diablo, he sent me a text that said like that weekend we played Diablo 2 all weekend is one of my favorite brother memories of all time, you know, yeah. and so like that, so that notion of being able to go from this thing that had a personal meaning to you to becoming in charge of it and helping to set its direction and its strategy is, is phenomenal. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about where we are and where we're going. Well, Rod, congratulations to you and the whole team on the launch of Diablo 4. Uh, you know, we've, we as players have been excited about it for a while. Uh, I've, I've had a really, as a, because I, I go all the way back to Diablo 1 myself. That's, it's my favorite Blizzard game and it's not, it's not close. Like I have respect <laughs> for Blizzard's other games, but Diablo has always been the one for me. And uh, right. what I've played of, of Diablo 4 thus far, which is the entirety of Act 1 a couple different times, it just, it, it gives me all the right vibes, and I'm I'm uh, it, happy to see that the reviews were great. That apparently the rest of the game holds as strong, particularly the end game, which uh, I'm looking forward to getting that 
what, are, what, for what, what classes are you guys you got you asked me what my class but i haven't heard from the three of you what are you guys like playing uh Justin? i'll google what hasn't been patched yet and it's s tier ranking <laughs> you are such, such a meta yeah. player you're like damn right it's not about fun it's about efficiency what what do we got here whirlwind barb <laughs> twisting blades rogue bone spear necro i got a few lined up oh you ideas goodness. okay yeah and we know Miranda's answer is going to match yours, I think, Rod. Yes, yeah, correct, Miranda? Yeah, definitely. I have a skeleton in my room, if that's not indicative of anything. So she just and, looks And the tattoo's time. coming when? When are you getting yeah, the Yeah, I mean, when? I have a few plans. So just the skeleton will be right next to the Pikachu. It'll be, nice. it'll be great. So they got to put their little name under them, too. This is oh, Jerry, yeah, yeah. Jerry the skeleton. Yeah. yeah. And Ryan. Well, Rod, I, I've always been a, a barbarian. Uh, always. Nice. For, since uh, Since Hellfire, since they were first out of the barbarian. Well, that, you and Phil. Phil, is, yeah. Phil, like, uh, Phil just, I, I got to, I played briefly with Phil in, in one of the things, like, I, uh, in one of the open betas, and he's a barbarian that did never used his sword. He just walked around Pacifist kicking barbarian? Everything. Yeah, he just kicked everything. He was just kicking everything. I'm like, you know you have a sword, right? And he's like, I'm just kicking stuff. And, he's just, and so like, I was like, oh yeah, that was fun. He's like, yeah, don't nerf kick, see you later. You know? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a leaper. So going back to Diablo 3, that was a, a favorite skill. And yeah, in the, in the Diablo 4 beta, I just love jumping around and and just leaving craters everywhere and smashing things under the under my boots so nice. um yeah i i will be i will be eagerly diving in uh with with my barbarians so Great. uh just again congrats rod and this is uh just diablo 4 man it's it's this and starfield are my two personal games that i'm most excited about this year so uh I've, and now one of them's here so thank you so much Appreciate you coming on and, and hanging with us, and uh, and we'll see you soon. All right. Appreciate it. Nice talking to you all again. Thanks, Rod. Thanks, Rod. Thank you so much to Rod Ferguson for taking about an hour out of his day here on the eve of Diablo 4's launch to talk to us about all things that we wanted to talk about, which we, we covered a lot. We went across the board. Uh, I want to say a quick, before I throw to Miranda and Destin for their sign-offs, uh, I want to say a quick thank you to the Podcast Unlocked audience, because I just stormed in here 11 years ago and on my first day episode 58 you can still it's not on youtube but we weren't filming back then but you can still find the audio episode 58 was my first unlocked and i just barged in and said i'm taking over this podcast and here's what we're gonna do and uh plenty of you at first were like i don't like this guy but those guys those people either all left or or learned to love me so either way it's fine <laughs> but thank you all so much for uh for 11 years and over, I mean, almost, let's see, it's like 550-something episodes wow. of Unlocked and counting. Uh, I'm very grateful to everybody for continuing to, to tune in and uh, and letting me do what I get to do at IGN, so I'm, I'm very grateful. Miranda? Yeah, you can find me at Have It Grows um, on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to see my kitten, it's at Have It Catnip. There's the Instagram account I started for all of my cats. So. Those are kind of the fun stuff, but of course we have a lot going on on the guides team. Um, we have a cool Di Diablo 4 guide coming up here soon. And then of course we have Dream Kingdom and Star Wars Jedi Survivor and everything else. So please check out our guides. I don't know how your team does it with like Diablo 4 is gonna be 100 plus hours probably by, by the time all the content's covered. Tears of the Kingdom is like 100 plus hours of stuff. 
you have a superhuman team that that you're a part of. I, it's I don't. A, it's amazing. A lot of planning. So, <laughs> Destin, you've got a minute here to take us take us home. Please go for it. I definitely want to, you know, congratulate you on your time at the company. Uh, Eleven years ago, I walked over and said, "Hey, I kind of like Xbox. Can I be on the show sometimes?" And here we are today. So, uh, thanks for having me along. I wrote an op-ed about how the PlayStation Showcase was great for Xbox, so go check that out. Spicy. And I think we're out of time. <laughs> no, you've got uh, you've got thirty seconds. If you want to do a little more self promotion, yeah, check me out on Twitter at Destin Legary. I also had the Starfield thing that Xbox fans did not like. So if you want to check out that <laughs> op-ed from the previous week, you can also do that. And uh, I just appreciate uh, the audience and and being on the show. I love the show a lot. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's been so much. It's it's my favorite part of the week. Every single week is doing the podcast with you guys. So uh, I am very grateful that you continue to put up with me. And all right, uh, for our guest Rod Ferguson, our super producer Red, along with Miranda and Destin, I'm Ryan. This was Unlocked Five Ninety Seven. We will see you back here next week. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.